This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I am here with Mims. How are you? I am way better than last week. I remember me having like mental breakdowns last week and talking about it. So I'm better now. I'm good. <laughs> That's good. You had a good week. Yeah, um, I'm in the process of moving right now. So it's kind of been really hectic and all over the place, but it's been good. Um, I've been just keeping to myself with the moving and yeah watching a lot of harry potter (laughs) really (laughs) yeah i don't know what what possessed jake and i to just be like let's just watch harry potter but i haven't really watched like the first few and he didn't he didn't watch like the last few so we were both like not fully like involved in the potter world and so okay (laughs) so we were we watched everything all of it now that's cute yeah that's a good that's a good distraction too it was what about you how are you doing i'm really good i had a good week mm-hmm. yeah that's good had a fun party yeah it was a lot of fun thanks a lot of sparkles lots of sparkles i'm a sparkly person <laughs> you are yeah <laughs> i'm like either or i'm 100 goth or i'm 100 glitter there's like no in between i've seen that a lot with people that are really goth and then also wear like hot pink or like pink at all times so it's like yeah those are yeah I, I it's pink or black it. yeah all the time mm-hmm. yeah. mostly black i feel like yeah i'm not I, pink. I usually wear black too but then if i want to be extra pink. yeah i went on a field trip yesterday Ooh. to bubbles i learned how to live off the grid oh so. that's fun so whenever we're ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been ready for it, so I know I- how to make my own grid now. Oh, you're what do you mean explain? They have a micro grid there. Oh, Did really? you know Bubbles Nature Preserve? They have their own grid. They're not they don't get electricity from the city. Oh. They wow. have their own electricity. That's actually pretty cool. From solar panels and mm. Tesla batteries. You know, I actually my husband um was placed there from where he were he's an electrician so i actually okay. did know that now that you are saying that so that oh, is really he helped cool do that mm-hmm. yeah. so he knows how to make us our own grid yes he does awesome yeah we might so, need his skills one day. I, I think we must keep him to yeah to for do like that. the zombie apocalypse days yeah i think he's got to come with us yeah we need his skills <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sure he's going to love that that's what we wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Your your purpose is for survival only. (laughs) Just kidding. I love you very much. (laughs) And I love that he loves my music. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It was so funny because I brought him to Fallon's birthday party and he was just like getting down to her like nasty rap, like all in rap mode and he was just like bump into it hard and i I love seeing it it was a good look for him i I liked it and for reference he's a super like white guy so it's it was really cute (laughs) to watch (laughs) he was like i like this song i was like really and then i noticed he knew the words i am really shocked by this development and i really enjoy it (laughs) yeah he he is uh he gets down for sure i like it yeah all right, what do you do we have anything? I have uh, some one true crime thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the are you familiar with the Delphi murders? The murders of Liberty German and Abigail Williams? I don't think so. Okay, there were two kids. They were walking through the woods on this trail and they were kidnapped and murdered. In broad daylight. Wait, was this recently? No, this oh. was like 2017, I believe. Okay, okay. And it was in Indiana. Okay. So it's a, like, this crazy thing. They, one of the girls made a video on Snapchat of, like, in her pocket so they could hear the guy talking, saying down the hill. Oh, yes. I do know this one. Yeah, that was really creepy because I heard that clip of uh, down the hill. And I'm like, no, no. So... The Indiana police released what they called an update this week, and they said they need to know anyone who had contact with a Snapchat account called Anthony underscore shots. Hmm. And this account apparently stole pictures of a young male model and used these pictures to talk to young girls. So use this account to talk to young girls. So it looked like, like a blonde, like... 18, 19-year-old, like, muscular, you know, like a cute blonde surfer kind of vibe. Sure, And they said they know that that is not the actual person. They've found that person. They've been in contact with that person. So the person pictured is not a suspect. But there's something going on with this Snapchat account that they are trying to figure out who is behind it. I'm glad that they're getting somewhere. Like, that's a Mm -hmm. big step forward. Yeah. I think they've probably had this information, but now they're like, we need the public's oh. help. So if anybody knows anybody that had contact with the Anthony under slash shots account on Snapchat, the girl's families said, even if all it was is like, hey, how are you? Anything? Let the Indiana police know about it. Okay. okay. So I don't know, because I don't know if that was just in Indiana he was talking to people or... I, I feel like it wouldn't have just been in, in just in Indiana. Right. I agree. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's what I got. Okay. So we were just talking about the, <laughs> which we kind of laughed at. Um, it I, was. I've laughed about this a lot. Yeah. Uh, the Christmas tree burning in uh, New York over the in Manhattan. Um, that just happened. Fox News reported on it uh, about a day ago. I think it happened a day ago now that I'm reading this. I think it was Wednesday. What day is it? (laughs) It is Friday. (laughs) I think it was Wednesday. Okay. Um, I'm just looking it over quick. It's um, 
it, there wasn't really much of an intention stated. And I did find it funny that what he was quoted to say on why he did it was, I have been thinking about lighting the tree on fire all day. And it's like, <laughs> I I don't know who just thinks about sitting around and burning a, a Christmas tree, but I mean. I want to know if it was the Christmas tree that was the problem or the fact that it was the Fox News Christmas tree that was the problem. Oh, yeah. If he just, like, didn't like. I don't know the crazy blonde lady's name. I probably shouldn't say it on the podcast anyway. She might sue me. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to be amused with this story, The mm-hmm. Daily Show has some great clips on Instagram about it. Yeah. Um, because Fox News ha- has taken this to the extreme. Yeah. Where it was, like, stated that it was, like, a personal attack on, like, terrorism. Christ- yeah, terrorism and Christianity. And she even involved saying... It was an attack on, what was it, Hanukkah? She said that the Christmas tree represents a lot of things. Mm. It represents America. Because mm-hmm. you got to say America on Fox News. Right. It represents Christmas. It represents Jesus. And it represents Hanukkah. Which you should not, you should definitely know what you're saying before you say things like that. Because, I mean, anybody in their right mind knows that Hanukkah and Christmas are not related. Yeah. <laughs> two different two different things, two different religions. So let's um uh a reporter should probably know what they say before they say it. I don't think that's a requirement on Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> we are just um coming after Fox News today. Tell me how you really feel, Fallon. <laughs> I watch it for comedy sometimes. Oh <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of mainstream media in general. Yeah. But so the guy was arrested. His name was, uh, or is Craig Tamanaha. Um, and yeah, that was the reason he gave, uh, in the court of why he, um, set the Christmas tree on fire. Um, so we'll see how that all goes down. They um, are rebuilding the Christmas tree. <laughs> for those of you concerned about <laughs> the Christmas tree. They're building it back better. Okay. Well, that's good. They will, they will overcome all adversity. <laughs> As are, Christians mostly do. These are quotes. Yeah. That I heard. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, have you actually been keeping up with the uh, the Maxwell um, court proceedings? Giselle for the Epstein? I haven't. Have you? No? I haven't. Um, I just seen that. Um, a few things were said in court about <clears throat> Giselle's mentioning how um, having some of these girls brought in because of my friend would love your body. And it was like a 14 year old girl. And it was just I don't know if I really want to keep up with it. I don't think it's getting a lot of was her friend Donald Trump. It, no, it was Epstein. Oh, I saw I saw something about Trump. Yeah, that he was at a. In attendance, yeah, at a party that there was underage girls there. Mm. So, yeah, he did, he was listed as a name on, like, an attendee. Mm. Yeah, so it's just a lot of nastiness. And uh, I hate that there isn't a lot of things out there. Like, you you see so many, uh, like, news articles about the randomest shit, but I feel like this is really important to keep up with. Because these girls deserve justice and 
it's somebody to advocate for them and for them to get something after being, you know, abused like that. Yeah. And they probably think that they would have never gotten any sort of justice because of how, you know, wealthy this guy is and how, like, connected he is. So I'm hoping that it all pans out for these victims. Yeah, I hope so, too. And I hope she's honest about everything. Just tell them everything. Yeah. Yeah. You might as well. Like, if you're already in the court, like, you might as well just fucking do it. Yeah. Because it's so... I think it's horrible when men traffic women. It's even worse when it's a woman. (sighs) Like... Right. You make these girls trust you because yeah. you're an older, like, look like you're respectable. Yeah. You have, like, a nice lifestyle. Yeah. And you just con them into... And you think that women wouldn't do that to another woman? Like, they're, we are targeted by so many people and mostly men, so we gotta watch out for men, but I, I almost feel like we shouldn't even have to watch out for women because they're supposed to be, like, on our side. That's yeah. how I feel, but I, that's I know that's... It, I know it's not how it is. In an ideal world, it would be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always feel like it's, like, worse when it's a woman that oh, yeah. does it. Absolutely. Whenever I see, like, that a woman was involved with, you know, any sort of abuse like this, I'm just like, I don't... For some reason, it just... <laughs> I look more at the woman because yeah. I expect it from men. I Like, men are disgusting. <laughs> and... That's what they do, but, like, I don't know. I don't expect it from women, but I know they do it, so. I remembered one more thing. I saw something about the parents of that boy that did the shooting in Oxford, Michigan. His parents got, like, a high-priced paid attorney and left him with a public defender. Ooh. That's... I don't understand that. I don't either. thought that was very curious. Yeah, that is curious. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. That whole case is scary. <laughs> Made me not want to send my kids to school. Yeah. I've been hearing a lot that there is, um, like, um, shooting attempts or, like, threats in schools in mm-hmm. Wisconsin nowadays. Yeah, there is. Oh, there has been. There has that. been in Appleton this year. It's sick. And, like, where are these little kids getting these guns? And, like, why are they doing this is, like... Because my husband, um, his co-worker had to pull his kids from school. I don't know where they go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because on one of the kids' Snapchats, he had a gun in his hand and he had, like, er- a mask on. And he was like, whoever is going to school better not or whatever. Something along those lines. But I'm just like, I don't I don't get it. I don't. I think that was the one that, that was I know about. Okay. I think so. Okay. Because there was one at the middle school and they had they were locked down for a good majority of the day they all had to get searched oh shit their bags had to get searched they were like on full lockdown so my daughter had texted me like oh i hate this like kids should not feel unsafe like this and then i'm just like like, sitting at home all day because i live right by the school like in case something happens it's gonna be right there i can't imagine how you feel when things like that happen yeah i can't relate because I don't have kids, so. One time when my my oldest son was in middle school, there was an active shooter threat at his school. Mm-hmm. And it was the scariest thing. Oh, so they actually knew that it was happening? No, they thought it was. Oh, okay. So I went to my baby son, 
<laughs> my youngest. Yeah. He was four at the time. I went to pick him up from 4K. Mm-hmm. And his teacher had, like, this ghostly look on her face. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah, what's going and on? she said, you haven't heard? And I said, no. And she said, there's an active shooter at Benjamin Franklin, the uh, middle school in yeah. Stevens Point. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I raced over there. And all the parents were outside. Oh, God. Oh, and God. Junior was puking. Oh, no. I was panicking. Yeah. All these parents were panicking. Yeah. Like, at least I'm a calm panicker. Like, nobody would know. <laughs> yeah. Other parents were visibly panicking. Oh, my God. But they had to clear all the kids out of the school, like, with a SWAT team. Evacuate oh. them to their secret location that's so traumatic go and check them all out and this was like a five hour four or five hour process oh shit and then afterwards they said that somebody just hit the alarm Uh, okay like there's an active shooter alarm yeah there's an active shooter alarm okay in all schools oh okay because that's the world we live in yeah that's horrific i hate that kids have to go through this but the kids believe there was a threat Oh. Because of the way that they were cleared out of the building. Yeah. The news reported that they knew an hour before that that it was an error in the alarm. What? So we never found out. Okay. Like, that seems very suspect. Yeah. But that was so scary. Yeah. I'd be... I don't, I don't even know. I feel like I'd be one of those people that just really panics and would make it even more, like, stressful for people. Because <laughs> I, like... I don't know. I don't... I'm not a calm panicker. No. No, I cry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I just can't contain it. Oh, I, I get super calm in intense situations. Oh, I See, I would love that. I feel like a lot of people that have gone through some, like, trauma yeah. have had that, like, that's how they react. Mm-hmm. And you would, I've gone through some shit, too, but I still, like, sweat and cry and want to, like, just do the most. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that quality of being calm. No. <laughs> I did. That's why I always think when people like call nine one one and people judge them, they're like they're way too calm. They had to be involved. I'm like, no, because that's how I would be. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. why you can never judge on how people react on situations because you know there's some people like how you just said you were like calm and waiting for something to happen, and then mm-hmm. there's other parents that are like probably just like screaming and crying and shit. Yeah, they had to keep getting like pushed away from like yeah. the barricades, and it's just not helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's understandable, but mm-hmm. not helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's scary. It's a scary world we live in. It is. Okay, now we're gonna tell you some stories. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it could be more scary. <laughs> oh, well, that's why you're here, right? <laughs> we can we're just like the scary ladies (laughs) that give you nightmares (laughs) we're cute though yeah we are (laughs) um okay so let's start okay i'm doing our very first sinner tale uh this email was sent to us by our uh very first sinner written an email detailing the personal or their personal true crime story so I'm going to start off with the center tail email and then go into the information that I found. Awesome. Okay. So it, I don't think there is, they didn't say that I couldn't use the name. Should I not? Do you think? I think first name should be okay, right? Sure. Um, so it says, Dear Fallon and Mims, my friend Rave, which is very pretty, uh, discovered your podcast in October and we love it. She is from Wapaka and I'm from Winnicani. We met in Appleton at Fox Valley Tech and I also went there too. 
Um, so go tech. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1990 and I have been friends ever since we wanted to, that's, that's really cute. It is. Um, we wanted to let you know that we've been enjoying your podcast and we love hearing all the creepy stories from our beloved home state. We also have a story request. Have you ever heard of Naomi Ware and her daughter Antonia from Ripon? Many, many years ago, my mother ran a kennel and grooming business. She also raised dogs and was involved in the Oshkosh Kennel Club. I I love your mom because that's like my dream job. I just love dogs, so yeah. good for her. Um, enter Naomi Ware and her daughter Antonia, aka Tony. I asked my mother about them the other day and she could not recall if she knew Naomi through the kennel club or if she was a client of my mother's, but more than likely Naomi was both. My mom also thinks that Naomi also may have raised and bred dogs. A few times when I was about nine to 11 years old, Naomi would visit our home with Tony. I recall one time after their visit, my mother told us that Naomi had proudly told my mother that she had taken away Christmas because Tony had misbehaved in some way. I remember this upsetting my mother and her lamenting about that, about what an eight-year-old could have possibly done. What can, what could have happened that was so horrible that her mother took away Christmas? No tree, no gifts, no lights, no treats, no love. I don't recall many interactions with them, but the few, maybe three times they came to our house, I was uncomfortable. I didn't go to school with Tony. She was a little younger than me, and I just really didn't know her. In light of what I know now, I wish we would have done something. That type of abuse is outstanding, and we should get, have questioned what else was happening in that house. But it was the 80s and it wasn't our business and Tony showed no signs of physical abuse. I like to think that things would be different today. I'm sure you have already Googled Naomi Ware and Antonio or Antonio Casso. In 1991, Antonia and her husband, uh, you know, I don't know if I should reveal this. You know what? I'm going to. Uh, Bradley Kesso murdered Naomi in one of the numerous ways they killed her, including choking Naomi with a dog leash. When that news came out, I remember my mother saying something like that leash was probably used to beat that girl a million times. It was chilling. I wish I would have paid more attention to the story as it happened. I wish I would have read the news and followed the story closer at the time it happened. <clears throat> Antonia died in Tachita in 2004, and I cannot find any information beyond that. She received CPR, but she was dead, and it was too late. I wish I knew what happened to Antonia in Tachita. How did she die? Was she sick? Was there an altercation? Unfortunately, I cannot get past the paywalls, but I'm hoping you can. Bradley's still in prison. Uh, it says, please see attached. I hope you find it interesting. And I did. I did. But the weirdest thing is that they included his social security number. Um, and then she goes on to say, I hope you have take you take the story on. I would love to hear what you find. Much loved, Deanna. So that was our first sinner email. 
um, on their own true crime, yeah. hometown, hometown true crime, um, which is, yeah, that's really intense. It is. Um, <clears throat> so this one's going to be a tough one. Um, so unfortunately, I, I and many other people who grew up in a, abusive homes will be able to relate in a way, and my heart was broken after reading all the information that I found, so... Um, we're gonna dive into it. Okay. Uh, my sources for this episode are from the Journal Times, AP News, Wisconsin Supreme Court Access, uh, the Mayo Clinic, Cornell Law, and the Bradley Kesso Waiver of Clemency that was provided to us by our center listener. So I'm gonna start with some background that I found. Antonia, from the moment she was born, was serving punishment for being born and being the daughter of Naomi Ware. And these, the statement of facts on the Wisconsin Supreme Circuit Court access e-filing, it stated that she was severely emotionally abused and publicly and privately humiliated. She was constantly made to feel that she wasn't good enough and didn't live up to her mother's expectations. Uh, She didn't get a room. The transcript described it as a dungeon that was filthy and unsuitable living conditions for a human being. Her diapers were never chained and she was never bathed, never taught personal hygiene and never comforted or responded to when she cried. Uh, Naomi took out her own unhappiness with herself, her husband that left her. Uh, She lost her job and she was overweight and I'm not body shaming. Um, She was 5'8 and 300 pounds. So it was very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And she used her intimidating stature against many people who wanted to help Antonia and Antonia herself, uh, which really makes me sad because a little girl would probably see her as just like a huge giant, you know, five eight yeah. and three hundred pounds. That's you can't even like defend yourself with that. Right. Uh, at one point, Antonia hid at a woman named Karen Clark's home from Naomi. However, Naomi found her and kicked Karen's door in. Ultimately, Naomi made Antonia feel as if she did not deserve to live. Social workers knew, teachers knew, friends knew, but nothing was ever done out of fear. How are mm-hmm. social workers and authorities scared? That's your fucking job. I know. Yeah. I I honestly, I I think that this whole case, I think that this, her life did not have to go this way. And yeah. I ultimately blame the system for failing her time and time again. And we'll get into that. Okay. Um, I'm going to list off all of the abuse that Antonia endured. It is gut-wrenching, so please skip ahead if at any point you you don't feel like you need to listen to this. This is the time right now. Um, I'm going to list it off just because it, you know, she went through all this. It's valid to her case, and it's a, the buildup of what happens later. <clears throat> so she endured a lot. Naomi would backhand her, punch her, slap, and push. She hit her with a pan. She would shake her violently. She would strike her with a dog leash. Uh, she would break her bones. Um, there was one case that she did break her arm. She would make Antonia take extremely hot and cold showers. Uh, Naomi accused Antonia of killing the family dog that died of natural causes. 
Uh, she made Antonia eat off the floor. She also confined her in a three-by-two room, jailing her in the back of the truck in a cage in front of her classmates and Naomi's friends, beating her with objects like wooden boards and dog chains and scratching her face. Uh, she would also threaten to kill Antonia's pets, uh, and she would lock her outside of the house without a, a winter coat and forcing her to watch other people eat at the table without her having any food. They did have dogs in the home and as family pets, and Naomi would treat them better and more lovingly than Antonia's. And I did see that I'm pretty sure they must have been breeding dogs because there was a couple that were um, able to go to like the the show. I don't know what they're called, but you bring them and they like compete. I don't know. Okay. Um, and Naomi would cut like the the dog's hair is really like funky and short, and so that her. Um, oh, did I say Antonia? I'm sorry. I meant Naomi would cut the hair really short and funky um, so that the dogs wouldn't be able to compete. And that was like soul crushing for Antonia. Um, so Antonia would be covered in welts, burns, black eyes, bruises and scratches and uh, mental and emotional scars. Antonia developed Tourette syndrome, which is a nervous system disorder involving repetitive movements or unwanted sounds. It starts in childhood and it has no cure, and it but it is treatable. I didn't know that it was it had no cure until this. No. Um, so what she would do was bark. She would bark like while interacting with people. She would bark by herself, um, which makes me even more sad. Yeah, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. It's probably, like, somewhere was, in her subconscious, like, my mom likes the dogs and she doesn't like me. I I more went towards, I am, like, a dog or, like, I am oh, treated yeah. like a dog, you know? I'm, yeah. I'm almost thinking that maybe she was leashed at one point. I mean, she was in kennels, so I'm yeah. almost thinking it was because of that. I, I don't know for or sure. maybe she could only communicate with the dogs. Oh, my God. That makes me sick. Um, Antonia attempted to run away several times and did attempt, uh, to commit suicide. She sought help from social workers, but the system failed her, as I mentioned before. Naomi told the court that Antonia needed a residential treatment and went through 16 professionals before finding one that would label her as bipolar. Uh, so she was just trying to get her to be known as a, if she was, like, defective in some way. So yeah. Naomi's goal was to get Antonia institutionalized and, as she claimed she was crazy. Luckily, social workers um, disagreed with the diagnosis and removed her from all of the medications and was removed from her so-called home and granted one month to live a normal life in foster care. On the condition, she would she would get grades to A's and B's, and she was failing. Um, and that was, she was going to be there for a month and then um, see how that went and then see if she could continue being there if she got her grades up. I don't know why that was like That's a... That's so weird. Yeah, like a pre... Like, she like you have to earn your right to not be abused? Exactly. Yeah, I, I didn't think that was right at all. Uh, unfortunately, Naomi convinced... Or maybe even force Antonia to return home against the recommendation of the Department of Social Services. 
For 19 years, Naomi tortured her only daughter and had no consequences in the court of law or in general. And because of this, a murder was created. Which is really sad because she... And no child deserved to be treated this way. And I don't blame her for hating her mother. Like, I don't blame her at all. And kids don't ask to be here. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. That's your choice. Yeah. Don't have kids if you're going to treat them like garbage. Right. Put them up for adoption if you really don't want to be a mother or a father or whatever. But don't make it so... Especially when people are taking her and you're forcing her to come back. Yeah. For what? I didn't get that. I think maybe she enjoyed it. She enjoyed being such a horrible monster to her and she didn't want to lose that maybe grip on her. Yeah. I don't know. I can't relate, so I don't understand it. Me either. On December 11th, 1991, Antonia, at the age of 19, and her husband, Bradley Kesso, age 23, went over to Naomi's home. Naomi was supposed to help the couple with paying for a vehicle for them as they did not have the funds, and she was also supposed to co-sign on it as well. There was a lot of back and forth and fighting about it, and Antonia snapped. The couple ended up choking Naomi with a dog leash out of rage. On top of choking her, they struck her in the head with a shovel. They continued to torture her by stabbing her in the eyes with a knife. They ended up, they ended her life with hacking her brutally beaten and tortured body with an axe. And that to me is just anger and hate Mm -hmm. and just like wanting to take it out on somebody. It kind of reminds me of, um, the Gypsy Rose case where i I mean she she did involve her boyfriend to help her get her out of the the situation yeah um some similarities there i thought yeah that's what i thought of when i read it too yeah yeah uh the two were so detached from the situation that after they murdered naomi they returned to their fond lac residence and watched a recorded segment of their favorite soap opera days of our lives a coworker found the body of Naomi Ware outside of her home. I don't know how she made it outside. Um, I don't know how. I thought it would have happened inside, but she was not inside, apparently. Oh, wow. Um, so they just didn't even try to hide it. I don't think so. I think they just did it and left. I don't think there was any concealment done. Wow. And that's why I thought they were so detached from it. Yeah. They just up and left. That's crazy. Um. So... The co-worker went to the home because she failed to show up at her Ripon post office. So I'm assuming that Naomi was, you know, pleasant with everybody but her own daughter. Because she must have not... Her co-workers were concerned for her, even went to her own house to see, like, what was going on. So that makes me feel like she was only like this towards... Antonia. And the lady whose door she kicked in. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can't forget about that. Maybe people are scared of her in general. Oh, maybe. Yeah. On uh, December 16th, 1991, Antonia was criminally charged with party to a crime, uh, first degree intentional homicide. Pathetically, uh, the sheriff, Sheriff Shepard, said that the killing was motivated by a long-standing problem between the victim and her daughter. 
a long-standing problem. Not long-standing child abuse, just a problem. Wow. The coroner, uh, Susan Casper, conducted a preliminary autopsy report and found Naomi had been weakened by the strangulation and then killed by several blows to the head with a small axe. So I'm assuming that she lived through it all, like even the stabbing to the eyes. Wow. They were ordered bail at $250,000 each on... December 27th, 1991, a joint preliminary hearing was scheduled with Bradley in which both of their confessions were admitted. On January 24th, 1992, a subsequent motion hearing was held and Antonia entered her plea as not guilty by reason of insanity. On a, well, so how does that, do you know how that works? Do you think that child abuse would be considered a uh, insanity um, defense. I'm guessing that she's saying she has like a mental health issues or like had a mental break, be- probably because of the years of child abuse. I think that's valid. Not I that do too. I don't. I don't think that anybody should just go around killing people because of what they go through. But I. I get it. Yeah. On. April 13th, 1992, during a motion hearing, Antonia then modified her plea to not guilty and withdrew her insanity defense. Another motion hearing was held on August 4th, 1992. Antonia's defense attorney motioned to suppress the statements of her husband based on the confrontation clause found in the Sixth Amendment that states that in all criminal prosecutions, a witness or the accused shall enjoy the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. Uh, That motion was denied. Her jury trial started on August 17th, 1992 through August 24th, 1992. The jury then passed a guilty verdict. During the seven-day trial, jurors were told uh, Mrs. Kesso and her mother quarreled over money. Uh, public defenders William Ruddert and Mary Wolfie used the strategy of Naomi being an abusive mother and that the crime stemmed from that. To, from, for the prosecutors to play it as it was rooted in money is laughable and just right. I can't believe that even stood. I don't I don't understand that. It's always about who tells a better story. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. On September 23rd, 1992, Antonia appeared for her sentencing hearing. She was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole eligibility for 50 years. Even though the judge found that she was indeed abused, um, that didn't matter. After her sentencing, Antonia filed a notice of intent to pursue post-conviction relief with a post-conviction motion, which was denied on uh, September 23, 1992. State versus Antonia Kessel case commenced in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Both Antonia and her husband Bradley blamed each other for the initiation of the attack. Um, so it doesn't state who it never came to light who started it who finished it doesn't say who did what it just they were just going back and forth yeah on december 21st 
1993, Antonia appealed the sentence based off of four arguments, and I'm going to read them off the document so that it's all directly quoted from Antonia's defendant appellate brief. So the first one is the trial court violated her constitutional right to confrontation by admitting co-defendant Bradley's videotaped confession into evidence and that this was a an illegal error and it was harmful to her case. Uh, secondly, due process rights were violated when the court limited the number of witnesses that could testify to specific incidents of abuse outright. I don't know why that would have not been okay to do in this case. They probably like, well, it's just repetitious. Oh, you think? That would be my guess. I don't really know. I feel like the, I, the more that I mean, they, I don't agree, but I would no. think... The more that supports the case, the more that it should... I mean, it should be admitted. Right. They just don't want people to say the same things over and over and over. Not valid in my eyes. No. Okay, number three. The current definition of adequate provoke... Provocation? Provocation. Why can't I say that word? Provocation. (laughs) Provocation! uh, Does not adequately protect the constitutional rights of an abused child. Uh, And lastly, the appellant's... Uh, statutory rights and constitutional rights were violated when the trial court failed to advance her parole eligibility date on the basis that new factors were required. Ultimately, Antonia was ordered by Judge Henry Boosley to stay imprisoned until the year of 2042 before becoming eligible for parole. It was the same term given earlier this that year uh to her husband bradley kesso so and then in the um email it does state that she did die in tuchita i honestly did not find anything about her death either so i couldn't come up with any additional information about that um i am gonna read a part of the um the clemency uh, request by Bradley Kesso. Uh, let me just pull it up here. He actually, it was a lot of, this is about five pages here. So, um, uh, he states, I was discharged from the Marine Corps per medical reasons and was unable to fulfill my four year obligation. I later found out I could have had surgery but the naval doctors chose not to tell me this. I was angry and bitter, and I let it grow inside of me. When I met my wife, she liked my anger, and she fed it. She would instigate situations that would end up in me getting into fights. She used my anger to settle a score with her mom. She kept telling me how her mom abused her as a child, knowing I strongly dislike those who harm children. Naomi, the victim, tried to control all aspects of our life, further making me angry towards her. On December 11th, 1991, my wife Antonia and Naomi were arguing over the phone. I had had enough and I went to Naomi's home to confront her. I made the mistake of allowing Antonia to come along. I discussed with Naomi my need for her to give us space to make our own mistakes and she seemed to understand. As we were getting ready to leave, my wife instigated an argument with Naomi, and Naomi threw a hot pan at my wife. I lost my control, and my anger took over for battery. 
while in Fond du Lac County Jail awaiting the trial and sentencing for my homicide, Sheriff Deputy James Pfeiffer would constantly harass me and poke fun of my situation, saying things like, the people who will let you go haven't been born yet. Or he'd make the statement about how he enjoys reading about me in the newspaper. After about five months of his constant harassment, I had decided enough was enough. I forced my way out of the day room in search of him. When I found him, I hit him in the head with a cribbage cord. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, I was angry at his attitude and treatment of me that led to the battery. Uh, In 1992, I was a 23-year-old first-time offender who was given an excessive parole eligibility date. I was convicted and sentenced in an era of disproportionate sentences. This was at a time when the mass incarceration movement was flourishing. I have served 27 years, over half my life in prison, The man serving time is not the man who committed these senseless crimes. I took anger management to help me with my underlying anger issues, and since then I have not harmed anyone. Lastly, due to the current COVID-19 pandemic, I am seeking uh, an early release. I have asthma and I am a high uh, fatality risk. I'm sorry, this is really hard to read. Plus, being 51 years old, my health care costs will only continue to rise. And that was um, his request for clemency. I do think he got uh, an extremely long sentence. Yeah. I do agree with that. Because mm-hmm. now if you got life, you'd probably do like 20 some years. Which I have a hard time with sometimes because yeah. I, I do think that some people really deserve to just fucking rot. Right. Um, But... I mean, he's been in there how many years did he say? 27. 27 years. So, yeah, he may have a point. He was probably used in the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it is a pretty unfortunate all the way around. Right. And I have a problem with young people being sentenced to, like, life that's actually, like, your whole life. Because Mm -hmm. your brain's not developed until you're 26 years old. Right. Before that, you need to be getting rehabilitated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he went in there at 23, and he wrote that when he was 51 years old. Yeah. Crazy. Because um, now he would be getting out. Like, if he was sentenced right now, he would not do... How many years did he get sentenced to? 40? Uh, life imprisonment, I thought. So when is he eligible for parole? Uh, let me see... I think she said 2042 in hers. Yeah. Did the Supreme Court do anything for... For them? Antonia? No. They denied everything. Okay. Yeah. Um, So this was dated 2020. Yep. So it was last year. Yeah. Everybody tried to get out in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want COVID. Yeah. I mean... Let us go home. Because it was so bad. In prison. In prisons and jails, COVID was I bet. so bad. I bet. Yeah. A lot of people did get released. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Some people that definitely shouldn't have been. Oh, shit. But some that were like, yeah. I mean, if you're in there for, you can't lock somebody up and have them get COVID and die for weed. 
No, no, yeah, that would not be okay. Yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately, not all stories have happy endings. The abuser died. The abuse is currently incarcerated, or I'm sorry, she did pass away, but she was incarcerated. And then uh, a man that was roped into it was now paying for this long-stemming abuse and horrific life that somebody endured and he was sympathetic and he was upset about it so yeah he's now in prison for almost ever so yeah um my only hope is that maybe he gets rehabilitated i i wanted her to be um able to heal herself i don't know if that was done that really makes me sad that she did pass away um and I, I hope that she came to terms with what she did and she, I don't know, forgave her mom, even though she did, maybe she didn't deserve forgiveness, but it, it's mostly for you. Yeah. And you forgive. It's not for the other person. It's for you. Right. So you don't have to carry it with you forever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to end this story with my own thoughts. As a woman who grew up in a home with constant child abuse, I know how hard it is to overcome those scars and that trauma and that emotional toll of being in survival mode 24-7. I'm here for anybody that needs to talk about it or, I don't know, needs some some sort of support. And I know Fallon is always here. Yeah. Um, And if you don't like kids and don't want kids, don't fucking have them seriously that's my and last if you bit. have a kid and you don't want it give it to somebody else give or, it yeah. <laughs> a puppy. Give, give that baby away that to baby somebody away. that will love them because you you don't have the right to fucking do make them feel like they don't deserve to be born even right. though you're the one who brought them here yeah so you'd be amazed at how many random kids i've had with me over the years because of situations like really uh, yeah you're that type of amazing person though that would thank you is I'm an a outlet magnet. <laughs> i the cannot kid, relate to that the at kids all love me yeah um so that was it thank you so much to our center tail um submission we that was awesome um yeah it, it's really helpful because we don't know all the stories no yeah and then we I mean, we can find stories, but if it's something that you guys know a little bit about and you want to hear more about. Or it's something that's affected you personally, um, we would love to share it and dive into it. So um, email us whatever um, hasn't affected you or it's something that you know about. Yeah. If you know, like, missing people in Wisconsin, they need more coverage, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. We'd be glad to... you guys out absolutely all right are you bringing this up or down or where are we going sideways sideways <laughs> <laughs> i'm good with that i kind of need some sideways right now so today i'm gonna talk about the wrongful conviction of shante at i believe that's how you say his name okay if it's not maybe he will tell me <laughs> my sources came from madison.com the jsonline.com fox 6 news oh <laughs> talking all this shit <laughs> i don't mind our local fox news people hmm. the wisconsin people are okay yeah it's, 
it's the it's the people with the tree. The, the, the headquarters it's people. The headquarters yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, we our typically... local people are just telling the same old local stories. Right. So yes. we should probably clarify. I do not hate local. No. No. There's no hate. Because all they do is like tell us stupid, happy stories and hide the news anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always something like happy and cheerful. Or Aaron Rodgers on Wisconsin <laughs> News. That's it. That's all we care about. Right. And so, on episode six, Mims discussed the case of the Milwaukee's Northside Strangler, Walter yeah. Ellis. Yeah. So, in that episode, you talked about one of the victims, Jessica Payne, the mm. 16-year-old runaway. Yes. And she was later tied to Walter Ellis. But today I'm going to talk about the case before they realized that he was popular. I fucking love this already. Do you? Yeah. Awesome. I'm into it. So in the spring of 1995, Jessica was struggling. Her parents had separated. She had missed more than half of the second semester of school. And she was getting into legal trouble. Sounds like she was just like a wild teen. Like, you can't tell me nothing. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Energy. Mm-hmm. Which I understand. Yeah, I got I it. I was also that girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might still be, but... There's no judgment here. <laughs> no judgment. So, on August 26, 1995, Jessica Payne had actually spent the night in jail in South Milwaukee after getting into a fight. The next day, she was released, and then she ran away from home. So her and her friend headed to a house on the north side of Milwaukee that was known for drugs and prostitution. And at some point during the evening, Jessica decided to leave this home and she left without her friend. Hmm, that's always a bad idea. No. If you go somewhere with a friend, always leave with them, please. Yes. Even if you're a runaway, please don't be out here alone. Yeah, no. Because you just never know. Right. So three days later, she would be found dead under a mattress in a backyard of an abandoned Northside Milwaukee home. Mm. Her throat had been cut, and the medical examiner believed that she most likely had been raped. A DNA sample was taken, but now this was the tricky part. I don't know if they couldn't match the DNA because that's what one article said, Mm -hmm. or if they didn't test the DNA because another article said... They don't believe the DNA was even initially tested, Ugh. even though they had it. And I mean, DNA testing in '97 wasn't the or '95 wasn't the best, but it was right. still available. Yeah, you could still run it. Yeah. So I'm not sure what happened with that. So police soon honed in on three suspects: Sam Hadaway, Shante Ott, and Richard Gwynn. The newest articles don't describe how they came to land on these three people, but I read through Ott's appellate record, and that provides a more clear picture. So about a month after Jessica Payne's murder, an inmate at the Milwaukee County Jail told police that Richard Gwynn had implicated himself in the murder. Basically, they're like, so Richard Gwynn said that he had been involved in the murder of a white girl. Okay. And they're like, oh, we're going to need to talk to him. Right. So they go to talk to Gwyn, who apparently told police that the three of them had driven Jessica Payne to an abandoned house where Hathaway and Ott got out of the vehicle with Jessica Payne. 
and like walked around to the other side of a house or something, somewhere where Gwyn couldn't see them. Then Hathaway allegedly comes back to the vehicle and tells Gwyn that Ott had tried to rob Jessica, but she didn't have any money, so he killed her instead. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So then the police go to pick up Hathaway. And Hathaway also allegedly stated that the three men had driven to the abandoned home with Jessica and that Gwyn waited in the car with the other two men and or Gwyn waited in the car, the other two men and Jessica got out. Hathaway said that Payne and Ott began struggling and that Ott asked Hathaway to hold on to Jessica's hand so he could try to rob her and that he did. He said that Ott did not find anything in Jessica's pockets, so then he pushed her down on the mattress and attempted to assault her. Jesus. Yeah, this is quite a story. Mm. Hathaway said he turned away because he didn't want to watch and that he heard choking sounds and he looked back and he had seen that Jessica's throat had been cut and that he went back to the car and then five or ten minutes later, Ott came back to the car too. So Hathaway and Gwyn would both go on to testify against Ott. Hathaway would end up being sentenced to five years for attempted armed robbery for his role. And Ott would be convicted of homicide and charged with or sentenced to life in prison. So not long after these convictions, Gwyn and Hathaway would go on to recant their statements, like almost immediately afterwards. Yeah, you can't do that. (laughs) They're like... Yeah, we didn't really mean that. So Hadway would later state that he was fed his story from police after being held in jail for days and threatened with life in prison himself. I wish, like, that wasn't something that did happen so that we could just say bullshit, you know? But we know that that does happen. It does. In addition to the duress that he was already under, Hadaway also suffered from cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and brain damage. Oh, Jesus. And his own medical records called him a poor historian. What does that even mean? That means he can't really remember anything. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So, in 2002, the Innocence Project... So, the Innocence Project was, like, on this case right away. Within four years, the Innocence Project had honed in on this case, like... We need to get involved. There's something fishy here. Yeah. So in 2002, they requested that the city retest the DNA that was found on Jessica. The state crime lab did retest the DNA, and Ott was quickly excluded as a possible contributor. Mm. So it was not, like, none of that happened. Right. And then Hadaway and Gwyn were also excluded. So in 2007... The state came back to the Innocence Project and informed them that the DNA was also found on two other victims, mm-hmm. both of whom were murdered after Ott was in prison. Okay. The first victim was murdered in 1997 and was found just a few houses down from where Jessica was found. Mm-hmm. And the second victim was murdered in 2007 and was found just a few blocks from where Payne and the other victim were found. So they're all found within a couple blocks of each other. Right. So following the discovery of this information, Ott filed a motion for a new trial in the circuit court, and the judge, of course, denied the motion. He denied it just on the briefing, so that means the court didn't hear any testimony 
the judge just read the written briefs of each side and then made a decision. I feel like you shouldn't be able to do that without like having all the information read and presented and all that. Especially for recantation. So judges hate recantations. Yeah. That makes you automatically not credible. But most of the time, if there's something like this where there's like a DNA, Mm. they're going to be like, well, let's have the witnesses come in here because Mm -hmm. then you can look at them and judge their body language and all that stuff. Even though that's not always reliable, but it's better than paper statements. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, Ad appealed this decision. So, there's five criteria for the appellate court to review to determine if an appellant should be granted a new trial. And the last factor is whether a reasonable probability exists that a different result would have happened at trial if the new evidence had been presented. So, basically, he's saying, if I would have known about this DNA at the time of trial and we told the jury the DNA matched somebody else, Mm -hmm. there's a good probability that they wouldn't have found me guilty. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but the state doesn't agree. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes fuck the state. I know. My God. So the state really argued that just because someone else had sex with the victim does not mean that they're the person that killed her. So basically, they want everyone to believe that Jessica had sex with a serial killer, Walter Ellis. Oh, Jesus. And then was later mur- murdered by Ott. No, that doesn't make any sense. That no. doesn't make any fucking sense, especially when there was two other ones found basically down the road that also were murdered. They mm-hmm. were also uh, assaulted sexually. Yeah. And you can't just pin it on other people if it makes no goddamn sense. They're like, well, she was white. His other victims weren't white. And uh, she was not a prostitute. That was That was their whole story right there. That's not enough. So the Court of Appeals didn't think it was enough either. They're right. like, no. This is ridiculous. Yeah. In a nice, you know, judge kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if he was like, no, this is ridiculous. You got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. I mean, judges like that. <laughs> and they granted the appeal. So they gave Ott the chance for a new trial. Okay. So in January of 2009, Ott was released from prison to await a new trial. And then in June of 2009, the state decided not to pursue a new trial and dismissed all of the charges against him. Okay. So in April 2012, the Wisconsin Claims Board found clear and convincing evidence that Ott was innocent of the charges and awarded him, you know, our lovely amount of money that Wisconsin gives people, $25,000 for his 13 years in prison. And that's a one lump sum, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. But he did sue the city of Milwaukee in federal court, and they settled out of court for $6.5 million. Oh, that's a lot of clams. A lot, yeah. And then Hathaway would also go on to appeal his conviction, even though he had already served his time. He's like, what? my whole, because he got... Is, can you do that, if even yeah. though you've served? Oh, okay. Yeah. So he went back to court and asked them if he could withdraw his plea because he'd taken a plea agreement, withdraw his plea, and start over, basically. I find it very, very sexy that you just know all this, like, legal stuff. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm a legal nerd. I love it. (laughs) I've actually written briefs to the Supreme Court. Have you really? That's also a very huge turn on. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think anyone's ever told me that before. <laughs> well, I don't think a lot of people find that sexy. <laughs> I do, It's just too. a me thing. <laughs> so he filed the appeal and toward, told the Court of Appeals mm-hmm. that the police had given him Gwyn's statement, the guy that was driving the car. Mm-hmm. The police gave that to Sam. Like, this is guy. what he said. Mm-hmm. And gave him all of the facts of the case that they did know to use for his confession. Wow. No, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. They also told him if he was sentenced to prison, he would be raped every day that he was there. <gasps> oh. And they knew he was, like, mentally oh, slow. N- no. So they told him if he didn't confess the way that they wanted him to, he would receive 80 years. But if he cooperated and told on his friends, he would get five years. That's so corrupt. Mm -hmm. And it just should not be happening. No, but it does. Yeah. So Hathaway's attorneys go on to state other misconduct at the hands of police, including not keeping notes in the memo pads they're supposed to use, but taking notes on legal pads and then destroying them. Jesus. Gotta love Milwaukee police. Oh, my God. They sound kind of like LAPD. You know what? I think they're all the same. (laughs) I mean, there's good... There's, like, there's gonna be, like, one nice cop that listens to our podcast one day and be like, oh, they really hate the police. No. I I know there's some good... There's some good ones. Yeah. I've experienced a a few good ones. Um, When I was... I want to say, like, 16, I was brought to the er because of um alcohol poisoning and a lot of unfortunate things happened that night as well and uh, a police officer did go there and it was a girl's dad who i went to high school with who was in the same grade as me Mm -hmm. and he was like you know i have a daughter that goes to the same school as you and i'm like i know her and she goes i think she'd like to be your friend oh he was so sweet so sweet so there are good cops. yeah oh yeah there, there are good there's cops. definitely some good ones but i think the problem comes in when it's like you need to solve this it doesn't need to be right but it needs to be done right yeah you can't you just because you need to meet a quota or you need to have some sort of closure doesn't mean that you have to force it or make up your own rules like yeah. you you are not above the law sirs and ma'ams no we like to have the actual murderers off the street thank you yes please or nobody yep yeah let's try that (laughs) (laughs) so uh, combining like all of their dirty deeds Mm. with the information and then the fact that hadaway has clear cognitive disabilities yeah and it's no shock like he was an easy target (sighs) i hate that So Hathaway also won his appeal, and he was permitted to withdraw his guilty plea. And then I couldn't find any new charges filed against him for this matter, so they must have just let it go afterwards, too. So he also filed a claim with the claims board, which he just won this May of 2021. Wow. Because he's still, like, going through this stuff with them. I hate that it's such a long process, too. Like, you got to put in all this time and i'm sure he's paying for it as well and it's like and you already were mistreated and misjudged and now you have to do this whole long legal battle it doesn't seem fair to get his twenty five (laughs) thousand dollars yeah 
he got his $25,000. I would hope that he's going to sue the city through the federal government, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he is or not. But it's sad because he's, like, ostracized by his community now. That was one of his best friends that he testified against. Sent to prison for 13 years. Everybody in his neighborhood thinks he's a snitch. I mean, he is, but... But you It's not like a normal snitching situation. No. It's like he was forced yes. by the police. Yes. And he was yeah, definitely forced under duress, under the threat of being violated in prison mm-hmm. if he didn't do what he's no, that's he was a victim. Yes. I agree. I feel bad for him. Yeah, me too. I feel bad for all these people. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is they never charge Walter Ellis with killing her. No. Because he's already serving life. Mm-hmm. So they're just like, eh. Fuck it. Fuck it. So her family had to go through all of this again when these appeals came up because they thought they had closure and now they don't. And then the police are like, no, we got the right guy the first time and now he's free. And they're, it just like leaves them in limbo too, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not fair for anybody if anything, it's fair. It's working out in the favor of that fuckface Walter because he doesn't have another charge on him, and he doesn't have the yeah. He doesn't have um. What am I trying to say? He isn't being charged for this girl who he probably did do, and it's not on his name. And yeah, we should call him. We should throw feces at him. <laughs> And those, I mean, the two people that got murdered after her, if they would have taken their mm. time to find the real killer. Such a good point. Those two people wouldn't have died. Yeah. At least two people, because I do not believe that he went from 97 to 2007 without killing anyone. Right, yeah. There's got to be more people in there. I agree. They, he just didn't get caught, unfortunately. Yeah. With the- Or they're missing still, or... Yeah. yeah. That makes me so sad. So... Like this case, there's a lot of issues with wrongful convictions. Mm -hmm. So according to the Innocence Project, many of the first 325 wrongful convictions overturned through DNA testing involve common variables. So the following three issues are the contribute to the greatest number of wrongful convictions. Eyewitness errors, like we talked about before. 72 percent of exonerations were due to poor identifications yikes yeah so i never want to hear people be like yeah i saw it i know what it was yeah no (laughs) poor unproven forensics so unvalidated forensic science or improperly performed forensic work contributed up to 42 or up to 47 percent of wrongful convictions so it's like junk science like stuff Mm. they used to do for arsons and stuff like burn powder pattern evidence like it's not real oh okay different stuff like that like gunshot residue if you this is like a random interesting fact yeah give it to me if you are arrested Mm -hmm. and brought into the jail or the police department and then tested for gunshot residue after that you'll most likely have it on you because it's in the police cars and um, in the jail. Just, like, all over the place? Like, on chairs. Like, somebody did a test. I wish I could think of where I saw this. Yeah. People did, like, this study about it. And they went and tested, like, all these different things inside of the jail and in police cars and Jeez. handcuffs. Why is there so much gunpowder everywhere? 
I think because the molecules are so small and oh. they're like on the cop if he had been practicing with his gun mm, and yeah. then he touches you or, you know, it's still on your gun. Right. So how do you work around that? Just test them even before entering or I don't even know how that would be done. I don't know either. Yeah. And then the third one is false confessions. And that happened in 27% of wrongful convictions. The accused pled guilty, confessed, or made self-incriminating remarks. This is why if you're not guilty, you need to talk to a lawyer before you say anything. Yeah. If you are guilty, just go ahead and talk. We don't care about you. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then you add to this the fact that Wisconsin has no standards for dealing with informant testimony. None. Right. Like, how... In the case of Walter, he was working with police, and but he was also a fucking rapist and murderer, so, like, there is no standards set at yeah. all. Doesn't that make you wonder if they knew, like, that oh, he yeah. was doing this, and then they just set these other people up? Because this was a setup. Or they're, like, stupid beyond belief. And that's how they had to pay so much money. Or, or he was just that slippery. That could be, too. So, in Wisconsin, 17 out of 31 exonerations since 1989 involve perjury or false accusations. Oh, jeez. That's way too much. Yeah. And these wrongful convictions, like I said before, they don't only rob innocent people of their freedom, but they also let people like Ellis stay free to commit more crimes. Yeah. So, somehow they still believe that Ott killed her and... He shouldn't be out and never charge Ellis. They're just like, we're done with this. Jeez. I don't understand how they could think that way. I don't know. I mean, and I'm sure it's got to be like all new police now. So they're probably like, why should we go back and do this? Right. We have like 9 million unsolved murders right now. Yeah. So that is the story of Shantae Ott and being wrongfully convicted for killing Jessica Payne. I, I really like that you went into my rabbit hole, into a further <laughs> rabbit hole, into a gerbil's hole, and like pulled out this story that I've, I could have breathed, I mean, I did breeze past this, so good job, and thank you for sharing it. Thanks. I was like, I was looking at wrongful conviction cases, and I was like, this sounds familiar, and then I was like, oh yeah, so I was like, let me go back and Make sure she didn't tell the whole story about yeah. Jessica. This is almost like the uh, the second parter of it. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good job. Thanks. Um, I did want to. I know that your friend is a listener, so I wanted to say. Um, I just met all of Fallon's friends on her birthday. Oh yeah. And um, she said that my voice didn't match my my face and i was like so shocked because i'm like well this is my voice (laughs) and i don't know like i guess i would also want to know everybody's opinion about that because i don't know what my voice is supposed to be like (laughs) (laughs) do you try to picture people's face when you hear their voice i actually uh used to think about that with uh because i listen to morbid yeah. And I'm like, what do they look like? Right. And I looked at, and I'm like, yeah, I did not picture that. So I definitely, I get where your friend was coming from because I, was, I also experienced that myself. 
Yeah. I, I was the same way with Morbid, too. Right? I, I did not picture them the way that they look. I was just like, do I, should I have, like, a higher pitch voice? Do I, do I sound like I would have, like, a lower voice? I don't know. No, I think you sound older. Not like you have an old voice, but you sound mature. Because mm. you are young. So I'm 26. It's young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These bones don't feel young. Uh, but I think Just she kidding. thought you were like 40. Oh. Well, you know, it's a good surprise then, you know? You, yeah. You hear my voice and then bam. And you're tiny. Yeah. I am like 5'1", so yeah. pretty small. It's funny because people forget how small I am and then they get like right next to me and talking to me. You don't... You don't understand how many times I've been told, wow, you're really that short. I'm like, yeah, I've been knowing that for a while. <laughs> like, yeah, I've always probably the same Yeah, size. nothing has changed. You have a big presence, I think. Oh, I like that. I like the big presence. Yeah. Okay. I okay. think you just sound smarter than a lot of 26-year-olds. I'll take that, too. And more emotionally intelligent. Hmm. I like. I. This is like a whole. I like, just like compliment you for yeah, the whole end of the episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I needed it. Good. I'm glad. So that is it for me. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. Okay. I usually remember something after we get done. But I think that's it for today. Yeah, it was a smooth sailing one. I feel like there wasn't any. Uh, we didn't have any near catastrophes today no no interruptions no interruptions everything was a-okay yeah it's a good day yeah we thank you all for listening thank you uh so remember rate review subscribe wherever you can um email us like our lovely center tail like today yeah we would love to hear from you guys and um, follow us on facebook and on instagram yep and i'll put the links in the show notes so you can just click on them and do it yes all right we love you we do (laughs) bye All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com episodes of all the sins of wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts and don't Don't forget forget, we we love love you. you